How do Muttley here again, and this is Reality Propaganda. I hope, hopefully, you all know the format of the show. It's me just talking away, doing some poetry, doing some songs, and just chatting about how I see the world. So, actually, just uh, it's a bit of feedback. It's always useful to get some constructive criticism and. Um, uh, there's a bit of feedback with regard to the um, background music being too uh, too loud. So, tough, Ethan. It's my show. I'll do what I want. So, uh, last week's show uh, was about time. And continuing on that theme, clocks. I said clocks, Ethan, in case you misheard. Not cocks, which is what you are. Now, the doomsday clock uh, is a symbol that represents the likelihood of human-made global catastrophe. And in the opinion of members of the um, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, it was set up in 1947 by the very same nuclear scientists who'd worked on developing and implementing the nuclear weapons and bombs that were used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The clock being a metaphor for threats to humanity from unchecked scientific and technological advancements. A hypothetical global catastrophe is represented by midnight on the clock, with the bulletin's opinion on how close the world was or is, represented by a certain number of minutes or seconds to midnight, and it's assessed in January of each year. Now, the clock's original setting uh, in 1947 was seven minutes to midnight. It's since been set backwards eight times and forwards 17 times. The furthest from midnight was 17 minutes in 1991, with the fall of the uh, Soviet Union and Berlin Wall coming down. Uh, The clock was moved to two and a half minutes to midnight in 2017. And then forward two minutes to midnight in January 2018, and it was left unchanged to in 2019. In 2020, January 2020, it moved to forward to 100 seconds. It's 100 seconds to midnight, one minute 40 seconds. I wrote this poem, this song, in the winter of that uh, around that time. When no one fully understood the impact of COVID and when it was largely confined to China in Wuhan. The line in there uh, saying it's getting hotter, it's getting colder, is a reference to climate change as the world heats up and humanity's contribution um, to a world that is becoming figuratively colder and a meaner place that we inhabit. So it's called Midnight. Birds tinge red, fly silently, across night skies, a special time for beginnings and endings. Almost yesterday, almost today, a time and past and future collide, all things change at midnight. Today becomes yesterday, tomorrow is today, today is yesterday, tomorrow is today, all things change at midnight. Time scales change a paradox in empty rooms the ticking clocks, echoes ready to chime, 
count to nine. Time forever, time forever moving forwards. Time never ever going backwards. Just another day to pray. Everything points north, clouds cross the moon. And the shadow prince appears, revealing desires and fears. The winter to come from dusk to dawn. It's getting hotter, it's getting colder, unfolds a haunting mystery, scare man into rationality, technology to kill or cure. 100 seconds to go, just 100 seconds to go. All things change at midnight. In the uh, doomsday clock, midnight has a deeper meaning besides the constant threat of war. There's various elements taken into consideration when scientists decide what midnight and global catastrophe really means in a particular year. Now that might include politics, energy, weapons, diplomacy, climate change, that sort of thing. Um, potential sources of threat include not just nuclear threats, but climate change, bioterrorism, and the effects and threats of AI, artificial intelligence. Members of a board judge midnight by discussing how close they think that humanity is to the end of civilization, and it's such it's a scary thing that we are potentially minutes, seconds away from annihilation, global catastrophe. Now, I was born in the 60s, and it's scary to think that it was only, I was born less than 20 years after the end of World War II. And it's mad to think that that's less time than it was, you know, the year 2000, which I can remember just like that. So I grew up with all the Cold War tensions. Having said that, the when I was a kid, um, I, you know, I grew up without any wars going on. Um, you know, without any UK or Britain being involved in any outright confrontation of some excluding Northern Ireland and the troubles there. And then we had the Falklands War. And now, nowadays, it seems that we're getting involved in things in wars across you know, the world, whether it be Iraq, Afghanistan, Iraq again. And now we're getting involved in Ukraine. We're getting involved in what's going on in Palestine and the Middle East. Um, so when I was growing up, um, you know, in the 1980s, uh, Russia invaded Afghanistan and the US refused to ratify the Strategic Arms Limitation Talks or SALT Talks as they were known. In 1981, we had a good old Ronald Reagan become president of the US and with his buddy Thatcher, um, they scrapped all, um, you know, further talks of arms reduction. And, you, you know, we, we think about recently how Trump was, but Reagan, his philosophy was, you know, the only way to end nuclear war was to win it. You know, that was the mentality that was going on in the early 90s, uh, 1980s. Um, and then China started testing atmospheric nuclear warheads and there's the Iran-Iraq war which killed millions of people 
and in Poland um, had a, the unions um, were fighting against you know the, the communism um, that was you know it was Poland was a communist state as were many um, independent Eastern European states Romania Czechoslovakia Hungary Yugoslavia was united we didn't have Montenegro Serbia Croatia um, there's apartheid going on in South Africa and there's all these human rights abuses going on across the world and then 84 there was further escalation in tensions um, between the US and Soviet, you know, the Soviet Union um, it just intensified that whole Cold War thing and the US um, they started to implement um, medium range ballistic missiles and cruise missiles into Western Europe we had um, big protests in Greenham Common and again um, Reagan was pushing forward to win the Cold War he just intensified the arms race um, and then you know they would ratchet up you know, the US would ratchet up the stakes more missiles and likewise um, the Soviet Union would do the same and then there's a boycott of the Olympic Games in Moscow and then in LA so there's all those sorts of things going on in the world when I was you know late teens early 20s and I was a student living in Nottingham now when I first went to university I I was a punk and I went with the attitude of hating students which probably not a great start um, and there are all these different clubs and societies that you, you could join you know Freshers Week was full of all uh, everybody rattling their tins and had big banners and things like that and there's CND uh, you know campaign for nuclear disarmament boycott South Africa gay rights the Marxist society Trotsky society you name it that's there it was there now my political leanings was left of center but my political political education was self-taught I hadn't read any books or diatribes I got my information from the lyrics of songs um, I'd never read Marx I read the enemy or sounds or football programs the clash informed me crass uh, informed me of you know anarchist ideals and things like that the ruts informed me likewise angelic upstarts cockney rejects they gave me an insight of real life and it wasn't it was about how things were in the real world not some political discussion uh, you know on the differences between marxism and trotskyism and to me it was all common sense life should be about equality for all get on be happy you know what's right you know what's wrong and if it's something's wrong correct it do everything in your power to correct it whether it be um, racism or, or sexism or anything like that everybody should be equal I didn't want some 
middle class twerp um, lecturing to me about, I don't know, um, Chinese philosophy on whatever it was. So with my attitude of disliking fellow students and what they stood for, I gave all these groups and societies a massive swerve. Get out, get out my face. Um, I figured I could get by in life without having to discuss the agricultural policy of Mao Zedong and its effect on US imperialism. But what I found out was all these groups who wanted to protest um, went off to London at weekends and, you know, usually on a Saturday to wave their placards and shouts in Trafalgar Square. Uh, Maggie, 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 out, out, out. And I'd see them all going on their coaches with their banners and their duffel coats on Saturdays. And uh, in my mind, um, they were going, not going to London to change the world. They were getting a free coach trip to London. Now, in those days, you, know, you lived off your grant that you got and money from your parents. And rail um, fares were expensive, even with student union discounts. It was still expensive to get to London by train. So I paid my 50p yearly subscription and I signed up to all those groups, CND, Marxism Today, Lesbians Against the Bomb. And when they were off to London to protest, um, I was there. I was there with all the hippies and do-gooders and they were all discussing the theories and philosophies and I was one of them. I was one of the gang. I was all on board um, with them and all on the bus. And when we got to London, I'd slip off and go and watch Spurs. And I know that might seem deceitful, but hey, that's how I roll. That's the kind of guy I am. Um, and to be honest, all those people that I met on those coach you know, trips down to London, they were actually good people. Um, their hearts were in the right place and they were just trying to make a difference and trying to make the world a better place. And then there's me, freeloading, scamming, um, just to watch the football. Uh, did I feel about it? bad about it? I'll let you decide about that. Um, probably because I was mixing with different people, my attitudes changed towards students. Um, my stance changed and most of these people were actually really cool people. There's a girl I got to know, Michelle Kell, or Kelly Kell, as she likes to be called, who was doing social studies um, and I met a load of people who were doing their course. And I think they probably all ended up being social workers, which is, you know, people take the piss out of social workers, but that's a fucking hard job. Um, and Kelly was, and the people she mixed with, they were all radical types. And she dressed really cool. She had, you know, flown dresses, Doc Martens. She had a Mohican hairstyle, uh, piercings. And we got on really well. Uh, she was a good, good girl. Um, so this is um, 
a poem that I wrote about Kelly Kell um, after we'd been to some event in London and I'd been watched Spurs, mighty Spurs win yet again. And we ended up, um, you know, I think the coach broke down and ended up in Luton or somewhere like that. It's called The Night I Slept with Kelly Kell. Far off town, a late night bash and dull bed was our place to crash. So listen here, because this story tells of a night I slept with Kelly Kell. I didn't mind, or so I said, but I wished I'd had the floor instead, because you'd never imagined a thousand hells of a night in bed with Kelly Kell. When she undressed, I had to retreat from a shaven head and mouldy feet, the feet that launched a thousand hells in that fragrant night with Kelly Kell. So I moved right close to the edge of a bed and pulled the blankets right over my head. But eerie snores and stifled yells soon woke me thanks to Kelly Kell. And on turning, I came face to face with a massive boil in a private place. And a couple of hairy bagatelles soon made me run like hell from Kelly Kell. And I vowed right then that if need be, I'd spend the night in a cemetery or sleep with dogs or dead gazelles but never again with Kelly Kell. So that's for Kelly. I don't know what she's doing now, but um, say so she was she was a Mohican. And in those days, uh, there was this mega mix of styles and cultures, uh, punk skins, suede heads, rasters. It was a big melting pot, a big, big soup of music fashion. And everyone got on. And, you know, there were skinheads, and I know skinheads associated with racism. Um, you, certainly in those days, in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, um, there was the National Front, British Movement, Combat 18. And they would turn up at gigs trying to recruit young kids um, into that nasty, horrible, Nazi, fascist, um, you know, way of doing things. Um it was a horrible time. It could be at gigs, it could be at football. It was a bad time and violence was just looking to erupt at any time. Just by looking the wrong way at someone or looking looking different, uh, it risked, you know, getting a right old kicking. As I say, skinheads um, had, had this fascist reputation. But, you know, there were groups of you know, formed, you know, music groups formed of Newtown Neurotics, the Redskins, and which is a great name because red as in socialism, skins as in skinheads, um, who looked to get rid of that racist tag. Um, and, you know, Re Redskins, um, very political group with socialist ideals, and not to be confused with the Foreskins, who were an oi group, um, cool oi group, they were just four skinheads, hence the four skins. And actually, just as an aside um, to that, um, my best mate uh, since junior school was a boy called Pete Lyons, uh, who despite um, being an Arsenal supporter, he went on to form anti-sector punk anarchist band similar to Crass and Conflict, um, and is still touring the world. Um, and the last I heard that Pete had to go and go um, major heart surgery whilst in Japan. So I don't know if it, this will ever reach him, but, you know, thinking of you, Pete, um, 
so anyway we were at junior school and moved to big school and we were in this English lesson um, doing reading silent reading or whatever we were meant to be doing and Mr Perring our teacher um, was marking our homework on some essay that he'd set us some story we had to do and all of a sudden he started ranting and raving at Pete and called him in front and you could see he was having a go at him um, and what transpired uh, was that in Pete's story he'd written a character lived in Foreskin Avenue and Mr Perring accused Pete of being obscene now I don't know we were I don't know 11 or something like that we didn't know what a foreskin was at that age we had to look it up in the dictionary now I don't know if that incident marked the beginning of Pete's move into anarchy um, but it made us laugh anyway that's inside Tips read by silently to the night sky. Special time for beginnings and endings. Almost yesterday, almost today, time went past and just collide. All things change at midnight Day becomes yesterday Tomorrow is today Today is yesterday Tomorrow is today At midnight Time scales change a paradox Empty rooms, the ticking clocks Echoing red chime Count to nine Time forever Moving forwards Time forever going backwards Just another day to pray Everything changes at midnight Today becomes yesterday Tomorrow is today Today is yesterday Tomorrow is today At midnight Everything changes at midnight Everything points north Clouds cross the moon and the shadow prince appears Revealing desire and fear Of the winter to come From dusk till dawn It's getting hotter It's getting colder It's getting hotter It's getting colder Falls a haunting mystery Get man to rationality, technology to kill or cure. One hundred seconds to go. Everything changes at midnight. Changes at midnight. Day becomes yesterday, 
Tomorrow is today, today is yesterday, tomorrow is today at midnight. Oh, yeah. Um, back to um, banning the bomb and everything. So there was all this political stuff going on while I was at university. Um, and I was just on the edge of it all, um, you know, banning the bomb and living in Nottingham. It was uh, also at the time of the miners' strike. And me and my mates... Um, we did our best, um, you know, to support the miners. We attended um, strip nights at the Clifton Miners Welfare Club where miners' wives and girlfriends would strip off and rub a tit in your pints. Um, but it was all for a good cause. Solidarity. Up oh, the miners. Fuck Thatcher. Um, so CND banning the bomb. And in those days, it appeared to be nuclear oblivion was imminent now my dad was in world war Two in the raf and he was a navigator in a halifax bomber and was involved in bombing of dresden and essen and he'd left school at 14 and he was a geordie and i think all, all you know all his family um his father his grandfather They'd all worked um, in in the mines. So I say he left school at 14 and joined the Merchant Navy and before he moved to the RAF. By the time he was 20, he'd travelled the world, um, been to America, India, visited the pyramids in Egypt. And, you know, he passed through, you know, he'd sailed around the world straight, you know, gone through the Straits of Magellan at the bottom tip of South America. Um, he was a brilliant dad. Uh, he loved golf, stamp collecting, uh, his garden and my mum. And he loved 
you know me and he was he was a gentleman he was um quiet reserved i never heard him swear and he's a deeply private man he never spoke of his time uh, during the war aside from occasional remark the only story i remember um was about a time when they're flying back from a bombing raid over germany and they hadn't dropped their full load of bombs uh, as all the targets couldn't be located now the flight time to germany uh, from the east of england which is where he's based um was much much greater than an easy flight jet these days instead of on a two and a half hours it would take nine hour you know it'd be a nine hour round trip and after you know flying out to germany having to endure the gunfire and flak they were running low on fuel and with the extra payload they had to make that decision about whether to drop the bombs into the north sea or crash into the north sea and get enveloped in the dark waters below and it was all scary stuff um and that was just one one story that he told me and i never really asked anymore and i regret now that i didn't he developed alzheimer's and when i wanted to talk to him about you know his experiences in life you know whether it be in the merchant navy or in the raf um it was too late um to get his insights and to listen to his knowledge um because he couldn't remember um my mum missed him every day um and she survived a further 11 years um of him being apart and she on the, on the day she died um spurs were playing in prague um and we'd been out of europe for a long time and i would have loved to have, you know flown out to, to prague and but mum mum had a um, glioma and um she passed away in that september september 2006 and this next song is about my mum and dad and how on that night she died i'd have liked to have thought that you know she was flying out through the sky to be reunited with my dad this call flying over europe war through a great war through the holy war through a cold war i never once asked you what were you fighting for i'm the product of a cold war i lived behind the curtain it's in my blood that flows within within my blood flows the blood of heritage history and culture abandoned to all our hope and fears plenty to cry time to cry your tears parallels with god in something to believe that i cannot control high above all the cities in ruin now we live in freedom of corporate living cheap flights tonight we could have flown over battlefields prague beckons in my dreams gothic art and strong beer and i'm there in my mind i'm thinking of you i hope you understand why i cannot be with you it's just circumstances beyond my control and there will be other times 
All the cities in dust we've now passed, buildings in rubble, papers and currency blow about in the breeze. All the borders are broken, boundaries breached in unification. We're flying over Europe tonight, flying over European towns and the cities and the rivers and the mountains and the seas. Flying over Europe tonight, to Prague, to Istanbul, to Bruges, Rotterdam, Bucharest. My father flew these skies, now he waits for his love, now he waits for love. We're flying out of England tonight, flying around the world, flying out of this world. Let me go. Yeah.
say my dad had traveled the world by the age of 20 and by the age of 20 I'd never been on a plane um, the first time I flew was when I went to Ibiza with my mates and I absolutely hated flying a takeoff my god the fear that that box of metal uh, would actually get off the ground let alone stay you know stay up there once it had taken off and on the flight back, uh, you know, as we, you start to descend, you get that pressure build up in your ear. It's just that annoying um, pain and you go deaf and it's, I say, really, um, it really hurts. And then you swallow and then it's gone and you're fine back to normal. Well, I, I experienced that on the flight back and I reverted to a five-year-old child sobbing and crying I want my mum and the stewardess came over and gave me a sweet and a blanket and patted me on the head and my mates were looking at each other pussy now when I got back uh, I told my dad about a near-death experience or earache and he was sympathetic if it had been Sam my son I'd have been Pull yourself together, boy, whip. When I was your age, I was dodging bullets, etc., etc. But my dad, he was just loving. He didn't mention anything about that. And it was it, all he was thinking of was about was me and not him. And all his concern was out of love for me. A few years after he died, I went to the Imperial War Museum and there was a Halifax bomber there. He could go into and what struck me was how 
tiny it was, it, how small it was. I couldn't, I'm not, you know, tall by any stretch of imagination. Uh, I couldn't stand up straight. Um, it was so tiny in there. It was so flimsy. Literally, it was a tin can with some wings on it and engines and guns sticking out and room for bombs. Um, and it brought it all back to me about what my dad must have endured and how wimpy I must have sounded about me complaining about a two and a half hour flight to Ibiza. And it, it was quite moving about me, you know, him listening to me just whinging and whining and him just giving love back. So um, I've got many fond memories of my dad. And today's Remembrance Day, uh, Armistice Day, uh, a time to remember all those that died in the wars, Poppy Day. And it's a chance to remember those who've fallen, gave their lives for us to enjoy, you know, the freedoms that we enjoy today. Um, for us, what people thought fought in wars for um, was to give us the chance to of freedom for us to protest and go on all these student marches that I never went to because I went to a football and wave placards and about banning the bomb and stop you know stop the war um, and I don't know you know sort of like people of my dad's generation um, I wonder how many people today would be willing to, you know, give that ultimate sacrifice. How many people in, particularly in Western Europe, would make the ultimate sacrifice of turning off their TV? Making that ultimate sacrifice of putting down the games control, switch off their mobile phones and enlist to fight for their country. And if you look at what's going on today with kind of conflicts all around the world, whether it be, you know, Ukrainians, Russians, Israel, Palestine, Yemen, um, would people in England, in the UK, would we fight for what we believe in? Um, and I wrote this song, poem, about D-Day celebrations. Um, and it's chance to remember you know the d-day landings and you know d-day landings started liberation of europe from the nazis and i wonder how we'd all react to that situation if it arose nowadays and in the poem i ask um, if people know what the d in d-day stands for and to be honest no one's really entirely sure the french say it's for disembarkation day um, others think it stood for decision or doomsday or even death day and just looking at, you know sort of like online what the D and D day stands for it seems to be think that D actually stands for day and in military planning D stands for day and H for hours so if it was two days before an operation they'd call it D minus two and so um so you have that's what these days stands for more information that you may or may not use so it's called d-day a vets of another anniversary in a far-flung norman cemetery rewind the clock to when the world was sane 
an England of warm beer, old maids and leafy lanes. A dedicated aim to set the Europeans free. Three simple ways for God, King and country. What's the day? When's the day? Wednesday? Wednesday day. Today's the day. Children still play. Soldiers pray. So what did the D and D day stand for? Does it really matter anymore? Doomsday, destination day, destruction day. A time for the world to have its say. Fill in the gaps from the memoirs of a forgotten. Looking down the barrel from the wrong end of a gun. The legacy of brothers, sons and fathers that died. Looking through the decades of our father's eyes. Fifties, rock and roll, cars and teenagers. Sixties, hippies, drugs and CNDers. Seventies, punks, strikes and aristocracy. Eighties, yuppies, greens and anarchy. In the year 2000, leaves none of this. In the year 2023, leaves all of this. A whinge, a poppy, a chance to have your say, to wear your medals on Remembrance Day. The old shake their heads so wise, they've heard and seen the lies, get angry and start to sigh. Saddened by futility, they start to cry. Forlorn, they give up, one by one they die. So what if D-Day had failed to all the heroes that set sail? America forced to rid the sin. The first atomic dr bomb dropped on Berlin. The Red Army continued to sweep west across the wastelands of a nuclear mess. A US-Russian treaty by sequence extended Soviet empire as consequence. A new Cold War as thick as ice is. An Isle of Wight missile crisis. And what if it was now? I don't know where or when or how. But a British army full of hooligans, petty criminals and drug, drug addicts. Prospect that frightens and makes me sick. The cannon fodder of the unemployed ranks blown away by oncoming tanks. A smeggy from skeggy who can't wait to attack. Stacked up on crack for the courage he lacks. And Ben from Brum has a Sten gun. Thinks he'll be cool to kill someone. And Andy the Yank is holed up in a tank. He's got a world full of Wayne still fucked up about Corbain. Would it be he who dares wins? Or wouldn't we bother turn up or care? Is this what you fought the war for? Is this what you thought the war was for? Is there any point in celebrating war anymore? As Edwin Starr asked, War, what is it good for? absolutely fucking nothing although that time it was something Wednesday day, day is the day. 
shut down Looking down the barrel from a running of a gun A legacy of brothers done to die Looking through the decades of a forefather's eyes Is this what you fought the war for? 
Is this what you thought the war was for? Is there any point in celebrating a war anymore? And with us, what is it good for? Absolutely fucking nothing. Oh, that time it was something. That time it was something. And I will never forget. We should never forget. What they gave. What they gave. I started this episode by talking about the doomsday clock and this year January 24th 2023 the clock was moved to 90 seconds one minute 30 seconds before midnight meaning that the clock's current setting is the closest it's ever been to midnight since its inception in 1947 and they made the adjustment largely due to the risk of nuclear escalation um, that rose from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And they also cited other things like climate change, biological threats such as COVID, the risk associated with disinformation, disruptive technologies. Um, let's just try and remember everything. Time is running short. Um, remember everything in your life. Remember everybody who touches you make time for them listen cherish and love time will always keep moving let's try and move the clock back move that doomsday clock back and try and live in safer times and better times let's all just try and make a difference cheers all till next time